Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. Hello, everyone, and welcome inside another episode as Georgia Tech prepares to take on the Virginia Cavaliers on Senior Day, Saturday, 3.30 at Bobby Dodd Stadium. We're going to take an inside look at what the Cavaliers bring to the table. We'll also take a look back with one of our former letter winners and also discuss with Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford their expectations as they prepare to deliver the call of the game on the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network. Without further ado, let's welcome in our first guest. That'd be Virginia Sports Hall of Famer Doug Doughty of the Roanoke Times. He's been there for over 40 years. And uh, Doug, you you are the authority on uh, Virginia athletics. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, my pleasure. Uh, I'm looking here at this list of uh, Georgia Tech-Virginia games. And uh, let me see, they've played 39 times. I've probably seen about 30 of them. I think what jumps out at me, and I don't know, you said you'd you read some of what I'd written leading up to this game. This is the closest rivalry that Virginia has in terms of uh, records over the year. Uh, Georgia Tech leads the series 20 uh, wins to 18 wins to Virginia to one tie. And, and I, there's not another series that Virginia plays that has been as close or as closely contested as this one. As for the 2018 version of Virginia, they were picked to finish dead last in the Coastal, and now in the second-to-last week, they're one of three teams who can still win the ACC championship. Doug, what did everybody miss about Virginia in 2018? Well, I think, you know, Bronco Mendenhall uh, seemed to to, uh, have things going last year, uh, beat Georgia Tech late to become bowl eligible, and then Virginia goes and plays – Navy and the military bowl and get stomped. And uh, I think that that was, uh, I think everybody, a lot of people turned on them after that. They, you know, while, while indications were that Virginia had improved, uh, I think most people looked at that 47-10 loss to Navy and thought, you know, they really haven't improved, that they, that they uh, caved in at the end of the season. As far as that game against Navy, of course, they too run the triple option, and, and Bronco Mendenhall's been quoted as saying the triple options. Uh, he, he's passionate about defending it. Over the last two years, how do you think Virginia has fared against the option? Tech did put up thirty-six points uh, in the loss last year. Yeah, I you know I, last year Virginia's win over Georgia Tech made Virginia bowl eligible, and I think it I was. Have I was posing a question to Bronco Mendenhall the other day, and I said, you know, you had some success with, with against Georgia Tech, which is an option team, and then you had all kinds of problems with Navy, which was an option team. Well, and and he answered my question and said talked about some of the differences, but the fact of the matter was, and what I had forgotten before I answered the quest asked the question was, Georgia Tech ran for three hundred and ninety nine yards last year against Virginia in Charlottesville on what was not a great day to run the ball. I think the weather was weather was not very good, but 399 yards is a lot of yards. So I don't think, you know, people look back and think, well, Virginia solved Georgia Tech's option 
offense last year. No, the Virginia didn't. They just happened to score more points. And a big part of that was special teams. Joe Reed was lights out that day, ran a kickback for a touchdown, another one in the plus territory. And then this past Saturday, he set a career record with his third kick return for touchdown. Has any team or, or opposing special teams unit opted to try and keep it away from him or, or do anything about uh, how dangerous he is back there? You, you, you throw that stat out there, and that's a pretty impressive stat. But it's also it's only about two or three weeks ago that Bronco Mendenhall described Joe Reed as a quote enigma. And <laughs> I don't I don't know that Joe Reed was was particularly happy with him, but but he is a all purpose player who I believe I'm not sh- I can't remember whether he he scored a, on a kickoff return on a touchdown reception and uh, you know he he he's uh very versatile got great speed. I wouldn't say undependable, but, uh, you know, he hasn't been great from game to game. I tell you, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, what you got to fear from Virginia offensively is the quarterback. He's made all the difference in the world this year. Well, and that's Bryce Perkins, and he's been a new addition to the team. What were expectations in August compared to what he's done through these first 10 games, leading Virginia to seven wins? Well, he uh, he played last year at – Arizona Western Junior College, and they got to the National Junior College Finals. And uh, he visited Virginia probably about this time a year ago. He committed pretty quickly. Uh, he was there for, this, uh, for uh, the second semester of classes. He participated in spring football. And, I, you know, everything you heard from the team was how, you know, he was, he was very good. And... In the spring game, he was very good, and the word in the preseason was that he was very good. And guess what? Since the season started, he's been even better. They say he's the fastest player on the team. He's what Bronco has wanted since he's gotten there, a dual-threat quarterback who uh, has rushed for over 600 yards. And this is an interesting stat. The starting quarterback for Virginia last year, Kurt Bankert, the guy who's a quarterback when Virginia beat Georgia Tech, Kurt Bankert had minus 36 yards rushing last year for the season. So it's been a complete turnaround in, in terms of, not, not that they changed the offense, but a complete turnaround in what they can do out of their offense. And Perkins has been the leading rusher among quarterbacks in the ACC, with the exception of Georgia Tech's two quarterbacks, Tobias Oliver and Taquan Marshall, along with uh, Dungy up at Syracuse. So very dangerous. The other Key ingredient for Virginia this year, it seems, has been their defense, uh, allowing less than 20 points per game. Is there one part of that defense that is particularly effective, or is it a solid group from the front line all the way to the safety spot? Well, it's. I think the strongest part of the team is is the uh, secondary. I think if, if Virginia were playing a passing team, that would be more reassuring that what, than what they're going to face uh, this weekend. The one cornerback, Bryce Hall, a two-star recruit when he got to Virginia, he leads the country in passes defended. I think he's got two interceptions and 17 pass breakups. Obviously, he's not going to have many opportunities to break up passes in this game. Well, Doug, thanks again so much for the time. And for the Tech fans who'd like to get a little more of that behind enemy lines perspective this week, where can they find you and your work? Roanoke.com. Well, thanks again, Doug. And when we come back, we will hear from one of Georgia Tech's all-time legends when it comes to big moments and to whet your appetite. Here's a look back at one of the most unforgettable names at Georgia Tech in November of 1990.
On the Atlanta Journal, Constitution scoreboard, Tech 38, Virginia 38, 12 seconds on the clock. Scott Sisson, he's only a sophomore. Did the 6'2", 185-pounder out of Marietta. With that educated toe, let's see what he can do. It's a 37-yard field goal effort on the part of Sisson. Alders will hold. Parker will snap the football. Both lines set. Crowd roaring. Snap, touch, kick by Scott Sisson. It is high enough. It is good. Woo! Seven seconds on the clock. Scott Sisson breaks the tie with a 41. 38 lead for Georgia Tech. Kimbo? Well, I got a little carried away. I apologize. But 37-yard uh, field goal. Seven seconds left on the clock. They called it the Thrilla in Charlotte's Villa, and we are joined by the man who delivered the knockout blow in early November against number one Virginia in 1990, Georgia Tech on its way to the national championship. Scott Sisson joins us. Scott, uh, thanks so much for uh, finding the time. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I always love to uh, love to talk some uh, Georgia Tech football and, and uh, kind of kind of relive those old glory days. Before we get back to that kick in 1990, we'll spend some time on it. Can you tell us what you're up to now and, and, and what's new in the life of uh, Scott Sisson and company here in 2018? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I would say the entire uh, schedule revolves around a busy family like uh, probably most guys my age. Somehow ended up in the kind of the, the website software world many, many years ago. Was with a big company for 10 years and then 2007 happened and uh, ended up doing my own thing. Kind of having the flexibility working out of a home office for, for many years now, so I've gotten a little spoiled. Um, not, I'm not gonna uh, profess to be a nerd, but I will say I spend a lot of time in, a, uh, in front of a computer these days. And then I spend my weekends trying to, to get out and uh, kick a few footballs here and there, work with uh, you know high school, middle school guys, and, and, and actually some girls um, through, through the years. So uh, try to try to do something to get a little bit of uh, exercise, you know, get it, get out from in front of that computer all day. A lot of the former letter winners we've had on this year here from the Flat Scott have been graduates within the past five to ten years. You've got a, a different perspective on the uh, journey that most Georgia Tech graduates take. I'm curious, from the guys you played with, how has the Georgia Tech degree affected their lives, your life, obviously, and and your teammates? Well, I think it's it's one of the big reasons that a lot of these guys, you know, they I think when they're when they're coming out of high school and they are thinking about playing football, that you know, they I think there's a there are some guys that that kind of look beyond um, college right out of the gate, um, and I'll, I'll never forget Bobby Ross sitting in my in my living room. He said, Scott. Where do you plan on living? Do you want to go to California? Do you want to stay in Atlanta? I mean, what? Where do you want to? Where do you want to be? And I said, as far as I can determine right now, I want to stay in Atlanta. I mean, I'm happy here, um, love it here. And he said, Well, is there a better degree? And you know, I hear other guys, younger guys, talk about that as well. And everybody takes uh, different paths using that degree. But uh, man, it's sure nice, uh, nice to have that in the back pocket for sure. Well, you wound up on the flats in the fall of 1989, had a great freshman year, and then your sophomore season, all the stars aligned. Georgia Tech goes into Charlottesville, taking on the number one team in the country in George Welsh. They were billing it as the Thrilla in Charlottesville. And, Scott, many know the story, kicking the game-winning field goal, 41-38, the Jackets win. But I think a few folks forget that between the final play, which was a catch by Greg Lester that put the ball on the 20, there was a solid 
I went back and watched the video, a solid two minutes and 58 seconds of downtime between the final play for Georgia Tech's offense and your kick. Can you bring to life those three long minutes? Yeah, that was uh, that that whole experience. It, it was it was absolutely uh, surreal. I, I think I get more nervous watching the uh, watching that that rerun now than than living through it. Honestly, I remember rolling into town and thinking, "Gosh, what was it? Two years ago, Georgia Tech had won something like three games uh, coming into my freshman year." And you know, kind of going back to that degree, I was just thinking, "Well, worst case scenario, I'm going to have." I'm going to have this degree, but I had no idea what that team would do. And uh, so rolling into Virginia, yeah, it was number one. I remember being very, very nervous going into the game. And I think everybody was a little bit in shock. I mean, it was certainly not something we expected to do playing the number one team in the country. But yeah, that, that three minutes, <laughs> I, I knew they were going to start calling timeouts. I remember the coaches kind of, I mean, you could, you can watch the video now and you can see Coach Ross walking around and rubbing that hair and that head and just, you, you can only imagine what was going through his mind. It's like, man, I thought I was nervous. <laughs> I couldn't really appreciate how nervous everybody else was because it's completely out of their control. But I do remember, uh, I believe it was Pat Watson trying to, uh, I think he was trying to tell a joke as, as, uh, as I recall. I kind of, he was talking to me and he was trying to lighten the mood a little bit. I was looking one direction and Coach Ross was looking uh, a different direction. I don't think anybody was listening to him. <laughs> and then, as I recall, he couldn't even remember what the, uh, the punchline of the joke was. We just kind of, kind of dropped that, all looked at each other and said, all right, let's go do this. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I've told this story before, but I do remember going into back into the huddle and Scott Aldridge was, uh, I remember him. Kind of, he did a really great job uh, at the time of, of just trying to kind of take everybody's minds off of, you know, having something to focus on. As I recall, he was, he was actually describe, kind of asking the guys in the huddle how they wanted the ring to look <laughs> after we make this kick. <laughs> so you talk about, and, and you know, it, it never dawned on me. I just remember thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, I, I mean, we're talking about rings now. It's like, Kind of need to make this kick at this point. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was total psych job, but it uh, it certainly worked. Well, Scott, uh, Georgia Tech's obviously had uh, some great seasons like 1990. Uh, 2014 comes to mind uh, more recently. But I'm curious, two of the other years you were there, uh, 1989, your freshman year, that team got off to an 0-3 start. Mm -hmm. And then the year after 1990, a 3-4 and start turned into an 8-5 and season. And I'm curious, for years like that, where, where there's a little bit of a misfire out of the gate or a stumble, what does it take to turn the season around? Because we've kind of seen that happen here in 2018, going from one and three to now six and four and, and feeling awfully good going to the final couple of weeks. Well, I think it's like anything else um, with any other team in any other sport. You know, you, you've got to have the belief as a unit. And, and, and belief in each other. Let's say, for instance, Sean was in there throwing a pass, especially that, that magical season. You see a guy kind of lay out and two hands on the ball. Somehow he makes that catch. Let's say it's in the fourth quarter and the backup quarterback is in, and, and maybe that same pass, that same circumstance, maybe, you know, maybe it's just one hand. You know, it's just that little extra effort when, when the wheels are turning. And you also have to have breaks. How many times in 1990 can you go back and you watch film and you can just say, gosh, if this didn't happen or that happened, you've got to have some of that luck 
But I think when you come out of the gate early like that and you're struggling, um, a lot of teams don't ever make that turn. If you get everybody on the same page, believing that, that they can do it, they start to take advantage of those breaks and they start to make their own. So it, it, it is, uh, I, I think that's the beauty of watching any sport really, but especially something like, uh, like football, when all the gears click at the right time, it's just it's a fun thing to watch and a fun thing to experience. No question about it. Well, Scott, thanks again for your time, and we look forward to seeing you down at the Flats real soon. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No doubt. When we come back, we'll speak with Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford as we zero in on Saturday's kickoff against Virginia right here in front of the Flats. Third and eight for Tech at the Miami 31. As we approach five and a half in the third quarter, Tech leads 24-14. Tail motion. And Marshall bootlegs out to the left. He's got time. Throws into the end zone for Stewart. Stewart leaps. Makes the catch. Touchdown, Jackets. Brad Stewart, the senior. And the Jackets lead 23-14. Forget the first down. Go ahead and take the touchdown. Brilliant call here by Paul Johnson. Great play fake by Taquan Marshall. And a perfect throw down the field to get it to Brad Stewart. And what a night it was. That was senior to senior connecting Taquan Marshall, hitting Brad Stewart in the end zone for Georgia Tech's final touchdown and what wound up being just enough to get the win on whiteout night in Atlanta. Now joined by the men who you just heard, Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. And guys, Brad Stewart, our post-game interview, said that was going to be a game he'd be talking about for years to come. That was truly a special night at Georgia Tech, wasn't it? It really was. And anytime you have a, a big game environment like that, the whiteout, uh, you know, national TV, the guys all fired up, uh, it's an exciting environment to play in. It's an exciting environment to be a part of. And to have the Jackets rise to the occasion the way they did, um, and especially with, with the seniors leading the way, with guys like Taquan Marshall and Brad Stewart stepping up and, and having you know, not their, their final game at Bobby Dodd Stadium, but their, their final night game at Bobby Dodd Stadium and the way it did with such a, a tough, hard-fought victory, uh, that was really a, a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, I agree. And to that point, Sean, uh, Senior Day is something you always know is going to happen. But a whiteout game is something that you earn. And for those seniors to have one last whiteout game in their careers, for it to come against Miami, a team that has a reputation, that has a mystique, and for them to kind of grind out that win, Paul Johnson said it wasn't the prettiest, but he didn't expect it to be pretty. Miami's got too good of a defense to allow that to happen. But for Georgia Tech to make the plays when they needed to, to have those momentum-swinging moments, they got the crowd on their side. Uh, that's why the atmosphere is so special, and we'll see if they can duplicate it again on Saturday. And in a way, it was the offense that won the game on that final drive, grinding out the clock, a key third-down catch from Jalen Camp. And when you look at the final totals, guys, nobody has averaged more yards uh, per play against Miami this year outside of Toledo, and I think that was a blowout win for Miami, and a lot of those yards were in garbage time. But a very encouraging performance from the offense, which had looked good the past couple of weeks, but not quite against a defense of that caliber. Moving on to Virginia, this is a uh, one of three teams, guys, left in the ACC who enters Week 11. Uh, still able to win the ACC along with Pittsburgh and Clemson, and they're led by their quarterback, Bryce Perkins, who's got a pretty good case to be newcomer of the year. He's accounted for nearly 160 points. Uh, what does Georgia Tech need to do to slow him down? And they need to limit his opportunities to get the ball to the playmakers. Uh, Bryce Perkins has completely revolutionized how Virginia is playing offense. He's come in, and you know if you look at the game last year, the focus in that game was really on the downfield passing game. It, 
Bryce Perkins is much more of a true spread quarterback. It's not just his athleticism. It's his ability to distribute the ball all over the field to guys like Alameda Zacchaeus, who can make you pay if you miss a single tackle after he catches the ball. So a lot of weapons out there, but the biggest thing you have to do is limit Bryce Perkins' option, take away one dimension of his game because he can beat you with his legs, he can beat you with his, ar- with his arms, but you don't want to give him the option of, of beating you with either or. And he can also beat you when the play breaks down, which is something that Paul has told me time and again, that when, even if you as a defense, you do it all right, he can improvise, he can scramble, he can use his athletic gifts to still gain the first down. And Virginia, they come in averaging 48% on their third down conversions. Uh, I think you have to be very sure in your tackling. He's one of those quarterbacks who can make at first blush a two-yard gain and turn it into a six-yard gain. Because you look at it on the other side, Virginia's second in the ACC in scoring defense behind Clemson. So they're not going to give up much on your side either. Uh, So when those opportunities present themselves, You have to force those predictable downs, and you have to make sure that when you have Bryce Perkins surrounded, you got to lock him up because you might not find a better two-way threat at quarterback in the ACC to whom the Jackets face on Saturday. Speaking of Virginia's defense, this is a group that's got a lot of talent in the secondary, but still strong up front, but certainly their bell cow is their secondary. What does Georgia Tech need to do to continue the success they've had these past couple of weeks against a Virginia defense led by Bronco Mendenhall, who says defending the triple option is uh, one of his passions? Well, I think they need to do what they did last week against Miami. They need to come out and be dominant at the line of scrimmage, um, recognize that coming into this game, it's going to be a tough, physical, hard-fought game, and the offensive line is going to have its work cut out from it from the very beginning. If there's a a vulnerability in this Virginia defense, it's along the D-line where they're very green, Uh, And they've been beleaguered by some injuries over the course of the season. So if the Jackets can get the interior run game going, that could really create some problems from Virginia. And they're going to have to find ways to get away from doing what they want to do, which, which, as you pointed out, I mean, the the strength of this team is in their secondary. But if if they're not able to uh, focus on that outside running game and they're forced to come up and play that inside run, not only does that play against their strength, it also makes them vulnerable to the pass down the field off play action. And, Sean, we've seen Georgia Tech face this Virginia defense together the last two years. The guy who was the most disruptive influence on that Virginia defense was Andrew Brown, their nose tackle. I mean, Mm -hmm. he just detonated plays last year and the year before that. The good news is he's gone, and I think you're right. Georgia Tech might have to get back to pounding it between the tackles with Jordan Mason, with Jerry Howard, and see if they can soften up the Virginia defense like that. I wouldn't be surprised if you see the B-backs carry a heavier payload uh, on Saturday just because of where Virginia might be most vulnerable uh, coming out of that Miami game. As you wrap up this segment, guys, I want to challenge you to identify one position group or, or one specific aspect of this team that you think perhaps hasn't gotten enough credit when it comes to the turnaround that this season has produced these last six games. I'm going to go with the ABACs. I think they've they've done a good job all season, but I think it's it's underappreciated just how much they contribute to this team, even when they're not carrying the ball. I, I think a lot of people look at guys like Coy Searcy and Clinton Lynch as those are dynamic ball carriers, but they're also exceptional blockers. They do all the little things right. They set up big plays for the other guys, and you don't see a lot of those runs from Tobias Oliver and Taquan Marshall without big-time blocking from the A-backs and also the wide receivers. But I'm going to save that for Andy if he wants to take that one. Uh, (laughs) But those guys have been getting it done all year, and I think the senior leadership we've seen out of them, uh, they've been key to this uh, this turnaround for the Jackets. I don't know if you call it a position group, but I'm going to go with Charlie Thomas at Jack Linebacker, Jalen Johnson at Stinger. 
Uh, boy, has ever a guy settled into a role that they didn't initially pencil him in for, like Charlie Thomas. And with his ability to bring pressure from different angles and to get into the backfield, force pressure. Some guys, as you know, Sean, they just have a knack for being around the football mm-hmm. and a knack for creating takeaways. Charlie Thomas has shown that in his true freshman season. And you're also seeing a gradual increase in, increase in productivity from Jalen Johnson, who's the ACC linebacker of the week. He's a guy that's been more of a presence creating negative plays, if not being directly in on them, uh, indirectly causing them. I, I think that has allowed Georgia Tech to have a little more pressure, and I think you can trace some of their turnovers that they've forced uh, over these last six, seven weeks to some of that increased pressure they've been able to get. Again, I, I think I'm coloring outside the lines a little bit, Wally, and I don't think you can group them necessarily into one single position group, but uh, Charlie Thomas, Jalen Johnson, one redshirt senior, one true freshman who I think combined have have brought an element to this Georgia Tech defense that might not have been as reliable for them at the beginning of the year. Well, I don't know about you guys. I was always encouraged to color outside the lines as a youngster, so that is that is fine by me. Yeah, but you still eat a lot of glue. we got to work on that, Wiley. <laughs> anyway, Andy, Sean, guys, thanks again for the time. We hope you enjoy your final call this year high atop Avi Dodd Stadium in the Al Serrato Radio booth. We'll have our pregame coverage beginning at 1.30. Toe meets leather at 3.30 on Senior Day on the Flats, Georgia Tech and Virginia. Hope you can join us this Saturday. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.